0: Welcome to The Cool Tools Show. I'm Mark Frauenfelder, Editor-in-Chief of Cool Tools, a website of tool recommendations written by our readers. You can find us at cool-tools.org. I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Kelly, founder of Cool Tools. Hey, Kevin. Hey, it's great to be here. In each episode of The Cool Tools Show, Kevin and I talk to a guest about some of his or her favorite uncommon and uncommonly good tools they think others should know about. Our guest this week is Mark Wade. He's Director of Business Development for Messermeister, the leading manufacturer of premium handcrafted chef knives and culinary tools. He's an award-winning kitchen knife designer and developer, best known for his leading role in the development of the Schoon brand. A second-generation knife maker, Mark began making knives at the age of 10. His innovative design approach has been highly influential in transforming the kitchen knife industry over 20 years of a professional career. He's credited on multiple international patents relating to knives and knife accessories and is a key figure within the housewares industry. With a long list of creative accomplishments, Mark has also worked on cutlery projects with major brands including Allclad, Williams-Sonoma, and Milk Street. He's collaborated with well-known personalities within the international food community such as Alton Brown, Michael Brass, Tom Cocliocchio, and Thomas Malzer, to name a few. Hey, Mark, how's it going?
1: Hey, good, good. Thanks for having me on uh, the podcast today.
2: Yeah, we're so, so happy that you can join us. And um, we're really excited by some of the suggested tools you have.
1: Yeah, I tried to mix it up. I mean, you have a knife guy on, so I am drinking coffee today. Usually it's drinking beer and co- talking knives, but uh, we toned it down a little bit today.
0: <laughs> yeah. That sounds good. Well, I, I I mean, I have knives. Um I have a uh, Messermeister that uh, uh, was sent to me to check out, and uh, I cannot wait to find out how you sharpen it. Um, you're talking about the WorkSharp MK2 sharpener. I'd love to hear about uh, that sharpener and how you use it
1: yeah absolutely you know as a knife maker one of the most common things that we get in terms of you know questions from the public are you know how how do i put an edge on this thing how do i sharpen because no matter how good your knife is when you start eventually if you use it enough it's gonna need to be restored uh, and we kind of like some things uh, about the world of sharpening and other things we we don't like so well mm-hmm. um and you know and we're talking about cool tools uh uh I've few years back, I got to know a a company, actually a U.S. company down in Southern Oregon, um, that has a history of making all the very cool things that we use to sharpen knives in a production setting, you know, in a knife factory. Mm -hmm. And um, we kind of collaborated on a project or two, um, and they've since grown into um, making knife knife sharpeners for the home. Um, And they're amazing. I mean, it's really... uh, it's little itty-bitty versions of what we would see on a production factory floor, um, mm-hmm. and they do it very differently. And they're they're about as crazy as we are when it comes to the knife world about you know worrying about function first, not necessarily you know the way a convention says something's supposed to look or work.
2: Mm-hmm. So so it's so like for your own knives at home, or do do you hand um, hone them or whatever you call it, or do you use uh, a little machine? Yeah, I use a little machine uh, for the most
1: part. Uh, of course, it depends on what I'm trying to accomplish, right? Um, when you're talking about putting an edge on steel, you're, you're really talking about abrasives and consistency, right? So mm-hmm. the idea is to lock down a lot of variables. And that's what WorkSharp does really well. Um, they use what's called a slack belt sharpening concept, which is a basic uh like a belt sander with a loose mm-hmm. abrasive belt that spins. um and the the nice part about that is that you know you can worry about holding the right angle and and kind of moving the knife um appropriately and not really have to worry about creating the friction between your abrasive and your edge. Um mm-hmm. so it really simplifies the process and um and the other cool thing about it is you know we we talk about not just the edge angle, but in knife making, it's a lot of the the uh, the geometry of the edge. Um, and whether it's concave or convex or, or a flat angle, um, really makes a difference in terms of the cutting that you're trying to do. Um, and, and, uh, when you have a machine that sort of demystifies all that, Mm -hmm. um, and then just kind of takes those variables and locks most of them down, you really get something that, uh, gives you maximum control and, and, uh, and effect, you know, at the end of the day.
2: So, could you describe then this little machine? Maybe what it looks like, how big it is, and yeah, what, what you have to do to, to to use it.
1: Yeah, so it's uh, basically they they have a, a delta mounted belt. In other words, three pulleys, and they have this loosely mounted uh, abrasive belt on there, um, and it runs on a little motor, probably the same motor that you would use in a like a, a power drill, something like that. Um, they then everything else is really about. Uh, Giving you uh, fixtures and platforms from with to rest the knife and control mm-hmm. the speed and the abrasiveness, uh, the coarseness of the abrasive rather, uh, and, and so the probably the best part though about these machines is that is kind of the is the back of the package, uh, and what I mean by that is that you know they have a chart that you do kind of slips out this cardboard thing and mm-hmm. you can mount it on the wall and it says you know if you're do, if you're trying to restore you know a fine edge on a hard piece of steel then it gives you the settings you know you slow the the abrasive down so you don't create more friction than you need and then you use this belt and then you then you can take that belt off and easily put another one on so the the size of it well it's about like a power drill um it's got fixtures both right and left that uh, are platforms that kind of give you the right angle on the uh to uh, to the abrasive and then a speed control that's all it is um but the results are amazing and and it gives my preferred edge which as that the slack in that belt kind of gives a little bit um what you're left with is this uh, almost teardrop shaped edge that uh or apple seed edge the same like kind of the custom knife world an apple seed edge and and a a little bit of arc to it so it's been very very sharp, but it's also very strong. So it doesn't thin out the that fine uh, edge of the blade too much. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's totally different. It's not one of those you know pull through wheel things that are kind of edge destruction devices. Oh um, really? Is that, yeah. that
0: that's what I have
1: now? I oh <laughs> 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 well well those are those are convenient, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and as you're getting into something, you know, kind of like better than nothing at all mm-hmm. um, but the the reality is um the most important thing when you're talking about anybody who's doing sharpening on a higher order is the ability to control the speed and the abrasive and you change that um and and most pretty much all knife makers are going to talk about a progression from coarse to fine and then uh and the idea there is that you're you're setting an edge and then you're kind of polishing it out in stages mm-hmm. until it's it's nice and glassy so it, it cuts really well. And if you can do that with the same machine, right, and just kind of dial down the settings as you go, then you're going to get the best results as, a, as opposed to, like, kind of a one-shot one pull-through kind of deal.
2: I'm imagining that there might be kind of knife-sharpening enthusiasts who – uh, would claim that they could do it better by hand. Do you think that's true, or do you think that um, this is uh, this machine is so consistent that, that you actually could get a better sharp on this using this machine versus by hand? Even yeah, if I know. Good. Yeah, you bet. I, I think that's
1: true, but I, I think that's also that there are people out there who could do a better job on a stone. And and honestly, I do use stones. Uh, we sell a lot of stones through our brand, um, and, and I use them quite effectively, but on certain knives, right? Um, the, the the thing is, that's probably less than 5% of the population of, of the knife-using world out there um, cares enough to develop the skills to do that. Mm. I, I learned sharpening by hand uh, in Japan, in Seiki, actually, um, from masters, right, that Kind of like stood over you and scowled whenever you got your fingers a little bit out of alignment or or whatever um, but i'm a little bit nuts right i've been doing this for 40 years and uh <laughs> and, and you know I, I i love the craft of it um so but for the most of us you know the uh, you know if you just want it sharp and you want it fast and you know your wife hands you Uh, you know, a block of a dozen knives, you you don't really want to, even me, I don't, I don't want to sit there and do that over the sink for, you know, an hour or two. Um, And so, so a small machine that does an incredibly adequate job much more quickly is definitely a a great option to have.
0: And it's a hundred dollars, which is very affordable. And it looks, I mean, you know, it's hard to judge something by the way it looks, but it looks like a solid piece of equipment, and it looks really cool.
2: Yeah, it looks very functional because it's it's sort of uh, – what's the word? What? Its function is transparent because of the um, exoskeleton, so yeah. to speak. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, so the idea is, is that, yeah, it's basically it's, it's a belt, a little tiny belt sander that's exposed, and then it's exposed because you get to change the belt as you move up to a finer grit.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, you said it, you hit the nail right on the head. It's, it's about simplicity and design. And that's a theme as a designer developer of, you know, hand tools, Uh, that's what knives essentially all boiled into is hand tools. Um, I'm always, you know, motivated by the simplicity of design. And if it looks intuitively simple and it's approachable, then people will use it. And that's half the battle. uh, You know,
2: So this is called the work sharp sharpener, MK.2, I don't know what that is. But anyway, that's what the one you're pointing to is. Um, okay, the workshop. So tell okay. us about another one. Uh, well, this one another. looks cool. Yeah, it does look cool. um, w- 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 um Mark, what else, what else you have for us? Well, the, uh, the avocado. Uh, have you guys heard of
1: this thing? No, no, never. Okay. So, you know, as a knife guy, avocados, it's, but I'm sure yeah, the, avocado, no, the avocado, no, <laughs> the quado, the quado. So it's funny, you know, Hey, I I'm the kitchen knife guy, right? So I try and keep it in, in my world of expertise. And, um, you know, I love the avocado because it's designed by, uh, uh, a a company called Chef which is a division of Taylor Brands out of Seattle. Um, And they are into cool housewares and specifically kitchen solutions. Um, And uh, I've had an opportunity in the past to work with the designers over there. um, And they actually have this very cool little studio up on 6th Street where they've got you know, mad scientists in the world of everything from peelers to polisher, fruit polishers or whatever the, you know, the market might bear. And they had this little thing that kind of ended up on my, uh, on my counter because I was uh, making guacamole at a trade show and I've fallen in love with it. So everybody, uh, everybody who asks, this is what they get, the avocado. Um, it's a cutting tool for making, for processing avocados. Um, but, uh, I, I love it from, uh, as an example of really elegant design, although it's a cutting tool, you know, it's not very hard to cut an avocado, right? (laughs) So sharpness isn't a premium. What is, is the the design that you need to have to be able to do all those tasks from, you know, removing the fruit to, you know, getting that stubborn pit out of there and all that. And while there are knife techniques for all of that, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a daunting task when you have just a razor sharp knife and you're holding an avocado generally in your hand um, without a whole lot of protection as you go at, go at it. So I've actually taken, even though I am a knife guy, I've taken my knives and set them aside and whenever I'm processing avocado or avocados um, for this great little tool. Um, the way it works is quite simple. It's got a very dull blade. Uh, I, love, I like to say uh, it's taking dull to a higher level um, that that can pierce the skin and kind of do that initial half cut that everybody needs to make. Um, then they've uniquely put like this little set of teeth in the center of it so you can quickly grab the stone or the pit out of there. And then and with the flick of a wrist, just a, a little cutting loop scrapes out the fruit and it's... Absolutely amazing, um, and I've you know av- avocados and specifically guacamole is kind of a side hobby for me, uh, mm-hmm. and and uh, this tool just really makes it a lot of fun. So I thought I'd call it out. I, I just think it's it's very clever, and and you know for every function there is a form that works best. And in the world of things that cut, it doesn't always necessarily equate to sharpness. Certainly, that's the premium most of the time. But um, when you're in the kitchen and, and when you know, you're moving fast and doing real specific tasks, um, these things that are smartly designed to do those really, really well uh, need to be you know, praised for, for what they are. And so uh, that's one of my, my personal favorites. And it's only 10 bucks. And it's 10 bucks. It's, I mean, how you go wrong? Yeah, right?
0: exactly. It looks great. It's interesting because you uh, have worked with Alton Brown and Mm -hmm. he is kind of decries what he calls unitaskers. That's right. That's kind of a a disagreement that I have with him because I have a few unitaskers, like a strawberry stem hauler that brings me joy every time I use it. And this kind of looks like one of those things that when you have
1: an avocado,
0: you kind of can't wait to pull this thing out and put it to use.
1: You're exactly right, and, and Alton would probably roll his eyes and, and <laughs> admonish me seriously, but <laughs> but at, you know the the thing with cooking is it needs to be fun. you know I remember teaching my kids how to cook, and you know uh, even my wife, you know, I'm trying to teach her knife skills I've since given up. you know they, they don't really want to hear it, right they, and, and I think a good design a good designer looks at the user right and designs a tool around that. And unfortunately, in the history, at least in my world, Kitchen Knife world, is it's, it's we look at the manufacturability of a product, right? And we make it a certain way. And then over and over, we say, we try and teach people how to use it correctly. And I think that's getting it upside down. I, I've sort of come full circle on that and said, hey, use it how you want. I'll watch and try and make mm-hmm. a better product. Uh, so this is a good example of that, but uh, you're right. Alton, uh, he, he would not, uh, he would not approve. (laughs) No, but, but we do. (laughs) So speaking of cool design,
0: um, and this is something that I've had some hands-on experience with and is really cool is actually a Messer Meister, uh, design. It's this, uh, this knife block that, uh, just beautiful to look at and, uh, tell us a little bit about it and, uh, and how it works.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. You can say all the nice things about it as you like, because it's, it is actually my design. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Very so, nice. um, if you've, uh, so what we're talking about is the next level block. It's, it's kind of looking at uh, knife storage, um, in know, really unique way, you know, um, and in the topics today, we kind of talk about these tools. We're going to look at, at knives and not just, you know, talk about metallurgy and and for different alloys and, and all but but really what where the rubber meets the road and that's that's you know what do I do with this thing to keep it you know looking and working and well protected like it was when I got it um so next level uh you know was actually started uh, the development of that in uh, 2018 which is pre-pandemic and that'll be pertinent here in a second um because you know from from my view uh, every time You know, if you you envision the old traditional knife block that's got, uh, you know, slots cut into a chunk of walnut or or beech or some some other hardwood. Uh, And you you try and fill all those slots and they're perfect for every knife and it's good for one set. But what happens when you get another one? Right. Or Mm -hmm. if for me, I want to design a different blade that's maybe wider or longer or whatever, I kind of have to go back to the drawing board and redesign the block and I did for years, right? It's, a, it's sort of a bad way to go, right? So um, you couple that challenge with sort of this trend to have these clean kitchens, things that aren't artful and elegant, you know, you take them all off the counter and what you want are really showpiece things. And we make showpiece knives, right? And we want People to have the right frame around it. It's like the Mona Lisa. It's a nice painting, but it has that real fancy frame, so you know it's important. Even guys like me uh, can can recognize that. So I wanted to do that for our knives. Um, and and what we've got is is uh, essentially um, a wedge of layered uh, magnetic platforms where. Um, each knife can can sort of rest anywhere you want it to um, in any configuration, um, you know, up or down on the block, whatever, you, you know, uh, left side, right side, whether it's full or, or just got a few knives in it. It doesn't look awkward like something's missing. Um, and, and so you, it's, it's a, these ventilated platforms um, and the real challenge with it is you know when we look at at sort of the functionality of it you could the temptation is to put like this incredibly strong magnet in place right so you wrestle the knife off and then it kind of grabs it when it goes but but what i tried to do in this case was to uh again go sort of the other direction um using a a lower strength magnetic uh, rubber pad or a series of them um where the the knife rests nice and softly Without uh, without the the block pulling it out of your hand, Um that's, uh, uh, that's really good for the knives. It doesn't get them clanging around. It doesn't you know scratch them. And and then when you go to re- retrieve the knife out of the block, it kind of releases and let lets go nicely as well. Um, uh, the the other important part about a ventilated design, and for for those of you who kind of like scratching your head, what I mean there is that it, there's there's big, there's uh, so a magnetic platform and a big open space that is across the entire uh, block and then another platform, and so there's separation between each and every one of them. Um, so uh, you can see the knife, right? You can. It, it's it's a good looking piece on the counter, um, but it also avoids another really you know notable problem of the traditional knife block, which is that they've got these dark little slots that collect all kinds of crumbs and crud, uh, in them. and those are uh, perfect places for historically, bacteria is to grow in, uh, in Mm -hmm. your kitchen. Um, And it's quite frankly, it's kind of gross. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So this allows you to have it it open to the air. It dries much easier. And I said, well, as I'm going through and drawing this up, I said, yo, you know what would be really, really cool? Um, And so it's to integrate some additional cleaning light in there. And so we did uh, put uh, it within the center spline of it has a bank of, led uh, ultraviolet lighting uh, and a, uh, a little timer switch on the side so you press it for five minutes and it floods the whole thing with disinfecting uv light um, and again remember this is starting this in 2018 um, that wasn't as high a mind as it is now uh, having something that's it's clean you know fresh apo- approach but really emphasize cleanliness um, in knife storage as well as safety and 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 you know, beauty in the, in its in presentation. I think we, uh, i I can be very, we can all be very proud of uh what we've put out here. It's called our next level block. Uh, pardon the pun, taking that light in there, <laughs> put it to the next level.
2: Yeah. I, it's really. I, cool. I also noticed that it, uh, mirrors your logo. It does. Yeah. A little bit, right. We, we <laughs> <laughs> go figure.
1: <laughs> well, we like to, we like to get credit for, for, uh, you know, all the hard work. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it's a, it it's a stylish piece, um, functions super well, and like we said before, it's intuitively simple, right? And, and that's half the, or that's more than half the battle in this case. I don't want you to have to worry too much about how to store the thing, right? Or 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 work too hard to to rest the, your favorite knife out of the block.
0: That's cool. So so tell us about some of your favorite knives that you
1: like to put into this block. Oh yeah. Oh man. Um, so I'm you know. At, Somebody asked me recently, you know, what's uh, what knives have I bought recently? And and quite honestly, you know, I said, oh, geez, that's a terrible question to ask a knife maker because we don't buy knives. You know, Mm -hmm. we uh, we're we're always looking for we we make them right. If we have some wild idea, we we make a knife and and good or bad or otherwise. It's uh, you know, we're always interested in what's next. And of late, I have been all about modern materials and, and, and blinds and, uh, our Kawashima knives, um, I, I are, are kind of the hottest thing going right now. Um, and let me, I, so, and, and I know this because, you know, I, I put one in my wife's hands and, uh, you know, she's always this guinea pig I don't know if she knows this or not but if she if she uses it you know I'll leave it on the counter if she picks it up and she uses it I find that she keeps going back to it and I know it's gonna be commercially successful uh, <laughs> uh, but um, so you know, I, I, th- we talked a little bit about design today and sort of that 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 concept of find the form that that functions best as opposed to sort of looking at what a chef's knife for example is supposed to look like um, and then you know, kind of in, adorning it from uh, from in, you know, from a basic knife shape to you know, just a gilded basic knife shape. I don't think that's good design. You know, the Kawashimas. Mm-hmm. What we did is I I, I partnered with Shuichi Kawashima, who's a, a sixth generation Japanese knife maker. Um, uh, the guy's incredible. You know, they, he he's always like me, trying to find a new and better way and um so we we worked on the lines a little bit uh, to create a high handled knife that uh that you know put your hands in a very comfortable position had a, a long deep rocker to the blade um and was gave you a, a big tool that was incredibly light and almost disappeared in your hands so you know you look at something you cut it um and and we love the form of that and it's not conventional by any stretch but uh what you find is it it just naturally encourages you to be in the right spot uh, on the knife, for um, and and that was kind of the the kickoff point. But then we said, okay, well we're going to go crazy with modern design here. Um, we have to have to have to use the the newest, bestest modern materials. And and what I'm always talking about these days is is powdered steel. Um, so. When I when I say powdered steel, I, I get like these blank looks or sometimes people nod and they think I'm talking about some kind of coating, uh, you know, but it, it it's not that at all. It's uh, what it is. You guys know powdered steel at I all? Know. I mean, no, I you don't. Know tell us about it. OK, so it's it's start, you know, generally and typically for 100 years, hundreds of years, we've used wrought steel. You hear that you know, raw, like wrought iron. Um, and it's what you'd expect. It's a, a bunch of elements thrown into an alloy, it's heated up into some molten soup and then it hardens and they generally, there's some dude there smacking it with a hammer, um, for some unknown reason, right? To shape the thing. Um, and, and that's sort of the basis of the way steel and specifically blade steel has been for a long, long time. Um, we actually have newer technologies these days, believe it or not, we've come a long ways. And, um, Powdered steel is a little bit different. Um, With wrought steel, what happens is as you have this big molten chunk of steel or batch of steel, as it cools, the the uh, it's got different elements in there. You know, carbon, most notably, to make it hard, right? Molybdenum um, and tungsten to hold it together um, chromium to keep it bright uh, that's typically the the recipe for stainless steel Um, and then maybe some other alloys that that densify the steel or add toughness uh, along the way Um, well those like water and oil they they like to kind of pool together and you'll get your carbon kind of chunking up over here and and maybe over a little bit on the, the other side and the gaps in between are where weak spots occur and that's unavoidable i mean you can heat it up again and you can whack it with this big industrial hammer that's what we call drop forging Um, and you can kind of pack them all in again but and but there's a level of impurities that has always been acceptable Um, and by the way those other elements that you add into the alloy like chromium to make it bright um, that actually softens the steel Um, so you're trying to, trying to add other elements in to counteract each and every one of those. And that's why you hear a lot of talk about these alloys. Well, powdered steel is totally different. And powdered steel starts with, uh, you know, a recipe like making a cake. Um, and, uh, to use one of Alton Brown's, uh, uh, analogies from long ago, we, we talk about making a cake, you know, they're all basically flour, eggs, sugar, water, right. Um, mixed together in different proportions for different results, you know, and you got. Angel food cake over here. It's nice and light and soft. Um, you can have yellow cake somewhere in the middle, and powdered steel. And that's how steel is, right? Um, but if when we talk about powdered steel, you're really kind of jumping over a cheesecake. Yeah, we call it cake, but it's it's, it's got very different properties entirely, and um, and that's sort of the difference between raw and powdered. Um, so. I know I'm rambling on and thank oh, you for allowing really me to bore you, a, a much larger audience with <laughs> my knife, not knife geek rambling. Um, uh, usually it's just isolated to the crowd at hand.
2: Right. So, uh, so uh, if, if, so what you're saying is that you, instead of starting with uh, molten steel, you start with some powdered form of it and then you yeah. compress it. Do you do that for the whole knife or just for the edge?
1: Well, um, there are various techniques with it, but generally what you're doing is for the entire cutting surface. The goal is to have a much more pure and dense steel. Um, The process, which is called the HIP process or or hot isostatic pressing, um, is is like this. You do start with with different elements to create an alloy, and it's in a molten form, but that's dripped through a uh, nitrogen atomizer. Which essentially, as it drips through that, that sort of blasts it into these little microscopic ball bearings, um, which are then sorted by size and um, the best ones, and then they're categorized and graded. Um, the cool part about each and every one of those little microscopic ball bearings is that they're a perfect alloy. In other words, um, if I wanted, you know, one percent chromium and you know X percent of this and all these others, each one of those ball bearings has that. And because it's been blasted with nitrogen it's super, and super cooled and sort of flash frozen in place, it's, it's a little bit smaller in its, uh, in its structure. Um, so so I, what you get is, like if you're taking your hands, and, um, is like a talcum powder, but it's actually steel and it's heavy. Um, and and it's, so it's pure and it's dense and in it's, and its form and and there's a, a few different processes to kind of make that back into a solid form and what they do though they're all about the same is they they put them in they pack that powder in tightly and then they heat it up under pressure um in a neutral environment and it it it's sintered back into a solid shape but it's but they do it below liquid phase right so those that pooling that I talked about earlier that doesn't occur um, and, and and the net result is that you've got incredibly dense. If you look at under the under an electron microscope, for example, you'll see uh, typical plate steel, hot rolled, and then it's fairly loose in its structure. And then cold rolled it's a little bit better forged. You can tell it's been smashed and densified. But it all kind of looks like, you know, that old uh, weathered piece of wood, right, on its surface. When you look at powdered steel, what you see is is super even grain, and it's inc- just, just densely... Um, Adhere to one another there's no weak spot in between it and without those weak spots well, you can temper that all the way up to much higher uh hardness levels which we measure in rockwell uh in the knife world um and and so what you end up with is is a steel that's not only harder which holds an edge much much longer um but it actually is a little bit tougher in that it, it won't snap or it won't um you know so you can keep it pliable and it it, it uh, it's it, it doesn't have that brittleness that we generally associate with hard steels um and that is kind of the holy grail right for a knife maker you want to have that exquisite edge that kind of comes up and stays there and you really don't have to do much uh, to keep it um so that's really the secret and our so our kawashima knives that's we went through all the trouble to (laughs) to go and do that and and what we've done instead of using that really really you can imagine it's not cheap Um, So what we do is a little Japanese trick um, in cladding steels, they call kasumi steel, where you take a uh, maybe a less expensive but bright steel uh, and you put that on the outside of a of a center core of this uh, super gold powdered steel. And uh, and and so you kind of make a little steel sandwich out of it uh, that when when you taper grind the sides, they that that cutting edge is exposed so no matter how you use that knife all the way through to if you were to, you know grind it away to a tiny little toothpick you would always have that best cutting edge that uh, money could buy um so with kawashima it's, it's a long process and i know it's a that's a lot of metallurgy thrown in there but um the net result no, is is yeah light fast agile and really the sharpest knife uh Messermeister's ever made um we're pretty proud of them. is that what
0: leads to this really interesting edge that looks like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like a, there's, there's all sorts of contours and stuff.
1: Yeah. Squiggly lines and yeah. polish. and Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Uh, that's cool. That's a great question. Um, what we do, right. So if, if we were to take that sand, that steel sandwich that I mentioned and and we grind it and then you of course see, you expose that uh, cutting core down towards the edge. Um, we polish the whole thing out at first, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's like a mirror finish and you really can't see the separation. Um, And we call that line a homone line, right? And it's reminiscent of sort of the old samurai sword where they wrap clay around that, uh, that portion to temper the edge and the spine differently. Mm -hmm. Same process, by the way, Uh, the same concept of of blade construction. Um, But what we do, the the reason why it shows up is that we will then come through and we'll, we'll like, uh, you know, they say sandblast, but, but, media blast with the glass beads Um, and what it does is it it kind of frosts out as those glass beads bounce and indent the steel Um, and you can see it's a perfect literal expression of the difference between powder this powdered steel core and the softer jacket and and that it dents and frosts the the once was once polished uh, soft steel but with the powder, powdered steel core, it just bounces right off. So it stays mirror polished. Um, and you see that line of embarkation between the two metals. Uh, that's great Yeah, thanks. There's, you know, you got to show the technology, <laughs> you know, because yeah. not everybody's going to run a, a Five minute dissertation on, on the
2: construction <laughs> of the blade, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, for sure. And so you're the, the, uh, shape, uh, knife sharpening machine you mentioned earlier would work huh. on these uh, blades yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I hear a lot
2: with, you know, people talk
1: about, Oh, you know, a harder steel is harder to sharpen. Well, that's not exactly true. Um, there, it does require a different setup and that's why, you know, the workshop sharpener is, has a huge advantage. Um, So uh, generally, you you would want a a harder uh, or or rather a slower belt moving um, and a little bit finer belt to sharpen these. And you can dial that right in, change the belt out, slow it down, and it's ready to go. Um, Actually, you know, hard steels, from my perspective, are much easier to sharpen if I have that variability. Most of the knife sharpeners out there, you know, uh, like Kevin's at home, right, is uh, just one-size-fits-all. And most of the knives in the world, quite honestly, are, are, are not really great knives. Um, so if you're going to make a sharpener that's one-size-fits-all, you're going to kind of dial it in for not really great knives because that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, but if, if you want to sharpen you know, something that's, that's really, really hard steel, um, you need a machine that, that has versatility. Um, and, and I, pr- I, I always tell people look at me funny when I say hard steels are easier to sharpen, but I'll prove it to you. We're, we're going to prove it to each other today. Right. Um, to use another, <laughs> I already talked about steel is like cake, right now. So we're going to talk about knives are like cheese. And, and if I gave you, t- uh, you know, uh, a each a block of cheese, one of you has, you know, a real, nice hard brick of Parmesan and the other one's got like this soft Colby, right. That kind of wiggles back and forth. you got to got a, a rasp in your hand your your goal is to create the perfectly smooth fine edge peak out of the top of the thing um what's going to be easier it's going to be the one that resists right it's that parmesan that mm-hmm. you can like you know carve and shape and the other one's going to kind of move away from you and it's not going to be easy to get a nice clean even edge on that thing no matter what you right. do um, and steel is exactly the same way but you got ba- you better have the right tool to do the work um, Cause it, it isn't one size fits all. And, um, uh, you know, the, the baker matters in this case, yeah, <laughs> not just the yeah. ingredients. Yeah. That's,
2: yeah that's, so why, cool. that's why there's no gold knives because gold is so soft. Exactly. Indeed. Yeah.
1: That's also why, you know, I, I, one of the things I, 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 one of our other chefs, Adam Glick, um, you know, I was on the phone with him yesterday and he was kind of bemoaning the fact that, uh, Some of his favorite knives, you know, he does a lot of saltwater fishing. He says, oh, they corrode, you know, he says, and then there's rust on them. And I said, yes, and there better be. And he says, I know, I know. And what we're talking about is, you know, you, if you have a, a knife that has a lot of chromium in it to protect it from a salty environment. Well, that's going to soften the steel. And so it never holds an edge. And so fishermen are always after me. Like, can't you make a great hard steel that doesn't, uh, <laughs> doesn't rust? I'm like, eh, no, but I, I will tease you guys a little bit. There is something coming, Trust me. <laughs> oh, well, well,
0: that sounds good. Well, well Mark, you know, uh unfortunately we are up against time. Um we have a, another guest that we need to talk to. So we didn't get a chance to talk about uh you restoring your your dad's Willie's oh, Jeep. Yeah. Um <laughs> we will uh, have to have you back on the show to talk more about uh knives because I to me it's fascinating um hearing about knives and you are a wealth of knowledge about that. It's been so great having you on the on the show. Thank you hey, so
1: they, much. Thank you guys again for having me. I, I'm glad I didn't put you to sleep. I, I know I can ramble no. on, but, no, it was but fascinating. knives are fun. Hey, it's, yes, it's, They're I, great. I, thank you. <laughs> it's, really it's a cool gig. They <laughs> yeah. pay me to play with knives and, and uh, you know, they haven't figured out that I love it. So I'm going to keep it going. <laughs> that so sounds great. And, and so uh,
0: the, the place to go to find out about uh, the knives that uh, that Mark makes is Messermeister.com. That's M E S S E R M. E-i s t e r dot com. We'll also have a link to that on the show notes at cool-tools.org. Once again, Mark, thank you so much.
1: You bet. Happy Friday, guys, and everybody have a great weekend. Hey everybody, it's
0: your host, Mark, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Cool Tools show. And I also wanted to let you know that we've got a lot more going on at Cool Tools than just this podcast. We also have the Cool Tools website which has a new tool review every day. And you can get there by going to cool-tools.org. We also have four different newsletters that you can subscribe to, and you can subscribe to those from the Cool Tools page. We have this podcast that you're listening to right now. We also have a YouTube channel where we review tools. Check that YouTube channel out by going to youtube.com slash cool tools. And one of the things I'd like to ask you is if you're really enjoying everything that we are producing Go to our Patreon page and support us there. You can sign up and give us as little as $1 a month, and that would mean a lot to us. The money that we get from Patreon goes towards a lot of things. We transcribe our podcast interviews so that you can read them online. We pay for editing of our podcasts and for our videos. We pay our contributors. We have video production costs. We have equipment costs. We have hosting costs. And the money you give us through Patreon also goes to support Cool Tools Lab. Anything you give is a huge help. And one of the things that we do is if you are a contributor to Patreon, we'll give you a shout out on air. And so I have a few people here to thank this week. Mark Lyonaj, Micah Gates, Monty Zukowski, Patrick James McNally, Robert Cohen, Scott, Spence Lloyd, Steve Avery, Steve Golden, Steve Levine, Tom Hess, William Phillips, Aaron Nipper, Darab Patel, Glenn Mercer, Jay Walker, Jeff Bonner, Ryan Jarrell, Pat Daly, Patrick Kennedy, Troy Wallet, Mike Camarate, Nicole Harkin, Tim Youssef, Scott Reed. Thanks all of you for supporting Cool Tools and if you would like to have a shout out, Go over to the patreon page and sign up and thanks for listening to the cool tools podcast we'll see you next
2: week